Welcome to the Xanadu Cinema Pleasure Dome with Wendy Bowlesby and Melissa Kirscher. Xanadu Cinema Pleasure Dome. It's another Tuesday evening, so that means I've grabbed a bottle of wine, I've driven to Melissa's house, we're in the basement, and we're going to record. I'm Wendy, that's Melissa, and we have a special guest! Yeah! Who are you? I am Noel Thingval. That's Noel Thingval, listeners. He seems so nice. I really hope he's not a serial killer. He could be, because he's very soft-spoken, and we are in a basement. I do mostly live in a basement, too. See? See? Mm-hmm. I'm but, sorry. But the I, evidence is piling up against you. But my creative you. outlet is actually just putting things on the internet. So okay. Okay. Yes. not cool. collecting people. Cool. Yes. Noel, Noel is a, a dear listener of, the, of our podcast. He is also a podcaster of his own. Yes. How many podcasts do you have right now, sir? <laughs> well, two of them actually just ended recently. Uh, I Hate Love Remakes was the longest one. That one went about four years mm-hmm. uh, where we talk about remakes. Yay! Yay! I like remakes. Uh, Monthly Midnight Movie Exchange also just ended. And a big one I'm doing now is Masters of Carpentry going through all of John Carpenter. Ah! Which okay. we will be doing later tonight, too. <laughs> so there will be an oh, upcoming... Yes carpenter episode yes you're in the right basement to talk about carpenter oh, we're building oh, yeah. up to that yes yeah yeah but oh but first, right now we should let them know oh, we yes. are drinking a gift this yes. was a gift from dear listener elliot james hi elliot Yay! hi elliot we love we are you drinking your gift this is a kenwood vineyard 2009 cabin cabernet yeah, I I started to say Cabernet, and then my brain went, just say Cab So. Cabernet, Cabernet Sauvignon. Like a Fosse film. <laughs> I know, right? Cabernet Sauvignon. Wouldn't it be great if you popped the cork in jazz hands? Oh, I know. If jazz hands came out, or if there was sort of a cha sound. These little streamers. Ooh. Ooh. Like just a cha when you pop the cork, that'd be great. It's part of why I like champagne. <laughs> um, anyway, Elliot gifted this to us and said, requested specifically that we drink it as the first bottle when we're paying a little bit more attention. Yeah, and it is it is delicious. <laughs> it is. It, it is. It's, it's kind of peppery and... It's and, got some meat to it. Yeah, it's nice. It's a firm wine. It's Yeah, it's got a it, firm handshake. Which, How you do it? Which is very appropriate for this upcoming episode, which will be about... Robert Aldrich, <gasps> who is a firm director. Very firm, firm oh, director. There were fists firm. and they were shaken. <laughs> the, the gestures are extraordinary in this room. Mm. Mm. So, a man who hired yes. Ernest Borgnine to play him and it wasn't an exaggeration. <laughs> mm. All right. So, Robert Aldrich. Yes. What can you tell us about Robert Aldrich? Uh, Noel, since you are our resident Robert Aldrich. Oh, boy. Expert. Specific details. Um, well, I know that he was born to a very rich publishing family and was like a millionaire heir who gave it all up so he could become a clerk in RKO. Yeah. 
And so was he like disowned? His family disowned him. Yeah. So wow. he completely, he never even got that back. He completely lost out on the family fortune and forged his own career. Yeah, he, w- he was originally a uh, an heir to Chase Bank, if I remember right. He was a shirt tail Rockefeller. Yeah. And like... He was he a just, Rockefeller, had like he, politicians in the family, publishers. Yeah. It was a big family. But he but dropped not out of school. a musical theater trope of I'm wealthy, but I'm going to go live over here like I'm poor, but really I'm wealthy. No, no, no. Right. He gave it all up. Awesome. And he yeah. went from like the clerk's department to then uh, becoming a script reader to becoming like a production assistant to an assistant director. And he was an assistant director for like Chaplin and a number of other directors mm-hmm. and then started doing his own films and also wrote and directed for a number of TV shows there in the 50s. Yeah. Like which? Oh, specifics. <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah, I put I, you on the spot, but now I'm like, no. what? Uh, here TV we go. Shows. China Smith, Schli- uh, Schlitz Playhouse, and The Doctor. Yeah, Schlitz oh. Playhouse. I was hoping yes. for something I knew, but Schlitz Playhouse is sure fun to say. Yes. <laughs> oh. I kind of wish we were drinking Schlitz right now, but no, no, this wine is much no, better. No, I really yes. don't want to drink Schlitz. Mm. So, Do they still make Schlitz? Yeah. Oh, okay. I think so. I don't. Drink I think beer. I've seen it recently. I, in particular, don't drink shitty beer. They they still make hams. They, <laughs> but it's hard. To, it's hard to find though. Yes, it is. But this I is have just found as fun it. Fun to watch in person. Hams, <laughs> the beer, refreshing hams. Dear dear listeners, we we have a witness. He says it's just as fun to watch in person. <laughs> If you think it's fun to listen, you should be here. See, this is why you should answer our questions and then be like, hey, by the way, I live close enough I could be a guest on your podcast. Because you never know. We get a little, we get wild and crazy and then shit happens, man. Uh Shit happens. Shit happens. Okay, so so that's a brief biographical sketch. Uh Uh-huh. Okay. Do we want to move into the films or just... Yeah. Or here's a question. What, as someone who's seen Aldrich, what is your impression of him as a filmmaker? Oh, boy. Um... The the films I've seen by Aldrich are, you know, kind of range between the the super macho movies like Dirty Dozen, mm-hmm. and then there's the psycho bitty movies, uh, 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 like Hush Hush Sweet Charlotte and Baby Jane. Uh, Baby Jane. And he has this humanist approach to things. He he's he's very liberal in his viewpoints, and yet he has this really violent streak. All of his movies have this. They they don't shy away from from the gruesome or the brutal. Actually, to play on that, the yeah. way that I've I've thought of to best describe him is if John Milius was a liberal, because <laughs> they have that very similar kind of meatiness. Everything's just a little yeah. big and sweaty and in your. They're face. They're the kind of people that believe you got to fight for what you want. Right. They're extremely yeah. passionate filmmakers and. Uh, he's not credited on a lot of his films, but Aldrich is also a very gifted screenwriter too, and would craft the development of all the scripts too. So mm-hmm. very similar in style, very similar in tone, but you know, Milius, very conservative libertarian, Aldrich, very liberal. Yeah. And Aldrich was also very pro union. He was an extreme political activist, mm-hmm. uh, very much against like the blacklist movement. He actually was the, uh, uh, the head of the director's guild for a number of years too. Oh, I didn't know that. 75 to 79. Wow. Wow. This guy's like knowledgeable. I feel oh, like such a poser. Oh, there, there's a reason why I invited him to join. <laughs> oh us. man, oh, I'm just yeah. gonna sit over here and drink wine. See, That's read, what I'm read, good at. See, I read IMDb trivia an hour ago. <laughs> <laughs> I do that too. 
I did also read a book about him a few years ago, but yeah, that was a few years ago. <laughs> but you've also seen most of his movies. Which yes. Is, which is another jewel in your in your crown. Thanks, I got to see one that I hadn't seen before yet today, too. So we'll get to that one, though. Yeah, that that was his last one, right, that you saw yeah, today? Yeah, all the marbles. But there's, yeah. there's three left that I haven't seen just because they're not really available yet. Yeah. Okay, I and I'm not saying this like I'm knowledgeable. I'm simply looking at Melissa's notes. I'm going to point out that this man's career spanned... 30 years, 1953 yeah. to 1981. He's got a good body of work. Well, technically 40 years because he started in the 40s. What I have listed yeah. here on my, my iPad are just the movies he directed. Yeah. But he did so much yeah. But he was more. still doing shit. I mean, it's not like he peaked early like some yeah. people. He still had the no. longest yard was 1974. Well, he literally started our RKO as a teenager mm-hmm. and kept directing until he died. Yeah. Until yeah, 81. He, Good for no, him. Well, yeah. he pa- no, well, he, he, his last film was in 81. He, he died in 83. Yeah, he, yes. he passed away in 83. But yeah, no, it's a good long career. And what's interesting about Aldrich is he's not someone that you have very easily definable eras of his career in terms of, I mean, there, there are, he had his studio films, then he had his films that he produced, and then he went back to studio films. But there's no real difference in terms of, like, that was the good era or that was when he peaked. Every era has, like, your good films, your bad films, your really interesting films. He's very... Not like a Spielberg where it's like, oh, and this is the period where you really wanted an Oscar. <laughs> right. And it's like Aldrich... Aldrich never wanted an Oscar. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's like even from the very beginning, he was just doing films that interested him. He was picking his own projects. Mm-hmm. Uh, and like very quickly, like by his third, fourth film, was starting to produce his own film. So he had like control over what he was making developing it didn't always have control over how it was edited and distributed which created problems with him in the studio but he actually did still work in the studio system for the most part mm-hmm. except for a few indie ones where he couldn't get anyone to finance it so he like took it to england you know <laughs> <laughs> yeah and he and he he did his uh he started his own studio after dirty dozen made right. a bazillion dollars and, and that, that didn't that last very go, long yeah because you know, how do you top Dirty Dozen, really? Right. And he only did a few more films as a producer before he then had to go back and just do some studio assignments to get work. Because 70s was a bit of a rough era for him. It still had some really good films, mm-hmm. but mixed success. Okay. So do we want to just start rolling through the movies? Yeah, let's just sure. roll in, start rolling through. A well, lot of his early ones you're going to have to carry. Although, right. yeah. There, I, there's I will a... say I haven't seen his first film, Big Leaguer, yet. Okay. Because that's never been released. That That one sounds interesting, though. It because does, and it's... the trailer was really neat, too, because it's yeah. just literally like baseball camp. Everyone goes to baseball camp hoping to be the next big baseball star. It's like maybe one out of 50 people are ever going to make it. So it's like a chorus line for baseball. These are all the people yes. <laughs> These are all the people that recruiters have found for the major leagues, and now they're just weeding through them. Yeah, that's, <laughs> it's a chorus line for baseball. It is. God, I hope I get it. I hope I get it. Yeah, I haven't seen chorus lines, so I'm going through. It's the, it's the first... <laughs> It's the first 40 minutes of Starship Troopers of baseball. <laughs> also apt. Also apt. Probably not apt. as bloody. Yeah. But <laughs> Then we have Apache. Well, actually, we got World for Ransom. Oh, it's, oh, I missed that one. It's listed as uncredited because his name was taken off because another uh, he start, started on a different director and he came in. Okay. And that one is... It's a noir film set during World War II in oh. the battlefield. Oh, this one. Ooh. Yeah, and this one. And it's like a really, it's it's a pr- very proto-Kiss Me Deadly, has that very angry, dirty vibe to it. 
of it's like this detective literally going through the battlefield like there's this whole great climax where he just walks into a room with pulled pin grenades <laughs> threatening to kill everyone if if they if they don't solve the mystery for him or something like that and it's because <laughs> this really does start the whole thing of he is a very humanist director but he's also a very cynical director mm-hmm. i i actually very much compare him to fincher in terms of not technique but the worldview oh interesting of yeah very much hu- just pointing a camera at humanity warts and all you know he liked he even just refused to put makeup on actors because he just wanted everyone to look sweaty and real and have pores and hair out of place mm-hmm. and he just wanted every like most of his stories and i think this one was kind of the start of that are people pushed to the worst point in their life pushed to that breaking point mm-hmm. and in some of his stories they get over that and they move on some stories that leads to them their ultimate demise mm-hmm. and i think that is and so much of his films every one of his films has like a big emotional outburst scene where he just cranks it up to 11 mm-hmm. and all of his characters are flawed broken people there's no real clear cut who's good who's bad it's all just like this is humanity and here's <laughs> what happened in this moment <laughs> but fincher is a very cold director so, yeah, no, Fincher. Is so a very I different see what style. you're saying. I see what you're saying there. But for those listening who yeah. don't know, who might be like, "Oh, Fincher," oh, I just Fincher, mean, and I yeah. mean the the worldview, yes, but um, the sensibility in terms of it's cynical, but it's not entirely nihilistic. Mm-hmm. No, he he he's very cynical that we're all a bunch of fuckers. But you but get the sense he likes hope, us anyway. But it's still it's still you like the people, and and, and there's still a bit of hope there. You're all fuckers, yeah. but I like you, and you're trying. <laughs> You're trying. I mean, even in Alien Three, he still wanted you to like some of the prisoners. <laughs> wait, wait, you're saying <laughs> what? No. I was talking about Aldrich. I'm talking you... about Fincher. I know. Because I what? I'm talking about Aldrich. But no, but I mean, in Fincher. terms of that, it's like these characters that it's like he's showing them at their worst, but he still doesn't entirely hate them. Yes. Mm-hmm. It's not it's yeah. not just this. You're whole, talking about Aldrich or Fincher. Let's let's go to Aldrich now. Thank we'll you. focus entirely on Aldrich. Yeah. <laughs> Since this is an episode about yes. Aldrich. <laughs> but it's <laughs> but it's it's that same just kind of this are these are these people at their worst. Yet I still can't hate them because they're literally at their worst. Mm-hmm. And I'm also not gonna entirely like them because oh my god, they're at their worst. But it, it is. It's a very thing. And I like how some of the stories, it's not all the stories are about everything collapsing. Some are you rise above that and you get through it. Some are it's a kind of ambiguous ending. Some of them it's you're dead, mm-hmm. you know. And World for Ransom, I think, is it's a rough film. But not only is it interesting because it's a noir film set in a World War II battlefield, which you don't usually see because it's a detective who has to go on the front lines. And but it, it's that beginning of the whole this is a very fucked up situation with broken, sad, lonely, damaged people who are just trying to figure it out. And that is not Excellent. something you usually see. And that that, that, that was the main a theme that's consistent throughout his entire career mm-hmm. from his first film all the way up to the last film that I just watched today. That is that is the running theme of broken people at their worst. <laughs> and you hope that they'll get through it, but you probably know that they won't. <laughs> they they haven't had a good success rate so far. Yeah. But it, things could turn around. Right. The, the the end of Dirty Dozen is very indicative. Not everybody makes it. Right. And then Dirty Dozen, well, we can jump forward a little bit there. Yeah. He's been deadly in Dirty Dozen of he also had a habit of taking source material that he hated and doing 
and basically doing a film that was very subversive and criticizing the themes of the original source material. Mm -hmm. Like Dirty Dozen is a very hopeful, redemptive novel. Mm -hmm. And he turns it all into, no, war is going to fuck you up. You can't become a a hero. You're just going to be left for dead. (laughs) And Kiss Me Deadly is just basically, look how awful this fucker is. Yeah. Oh, look how awful everybody is in yeah. Kiss Me Deadly. But going back, have you seen Apache? I have seen Apache, and I think Apache, funny that we brought up Milius, is actually probably the most Milius-y of his films. Yeah, I find it really odd, because it stars Burt Lancaster. It, it is, it's all a, red face. Yeah, it, as as an <gasps> Indian man. That's that movie. Yeah. Though, though yeah. we have Olzana's Raid in the 70s, where it's him and Lancaster both regretted Apache. Okay. And we're like, let's go back and try this again and do it properly. Interesting. So we'll get up to that one. Yeah. Yeah, Apache is, it has the horrible, very obvious red face, which also has the sad fact of a lot of Native American actors standing in the background watching all of these people. Oh, God, that's worse. I know. Uh, <laughs> well, I don't know if that, well, no. I, that, I mean, no, on the one hand, yeah. Burt Lancaster, right? But it is, it is like this big, oh. raw western adventure story that's also very cynical it does shine a very cynical light on terms of the treatment of of the native americans while also basically having other native americans saying dude you don't represent us because you're still trying to keep a war that we just signed a treaty to 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 say goodbye to Mm -hmm. and it's basically just this one guy sick and tired of of everything just launching a one-man war and it's like it's very miliacy in terms of you're watching i mean he even looks like rambo I know that wasn't a Milius film, but Milius was a better with the headband and the long it's hair. It's very Milius-y, though. It is. It's very much like Conan Red Dawn. It's very much Red Dawn. Of just basically him launching guerrilla movements against these guys, just starting to pick off random people. It's it's not a bad film, but it is very rough. And even mm-hmm. Aldrich was like, yeah, we did it wrong. Mm-hmm. So what was the next one? Uh, next one's Veracruz. You know, Veracruz, I know, has a big reputation. I don't remember it much. I know, I... I, I... Veracruz is one of the noirish ones. Right, and I know that also yeah. set the bar for, like, what Peck and Paw and Leone did with Westerns in the 60s. Because mm-hmm. I know Leone especially loved Veracruz. Mm-hmm. I just remember watching it and just not, not really doing much for me. I could, like, see the influence. I could see the story. It's just, you know, a bunch of people wanting to steal gold. Uh, mm-hmm. And then, of course, but they're all like very broken, damaged people who want to steal gold. <laughs> very ambiguous in terms of are they good guys or not. So it was actually kind of also a proto Wild Bunch. Yeah. But, and and proto uh, Kelly's Heroes. <laughs> yes. Well, I mean, so maybe it was influential just in terms of that, because um, it's pretty yeah. early in his career, mm-hmm. right? That he was introducing this broken Part people. Of it might be, I just need to watch theme. it again. Yeah. But, well, so often things that we are so comfortable right. with now, you have to realize that in their time were so different or groundbreaking right. or a new way of looking at it, that perhaps it's not that Vera Cruz now looks, right. is particularly notable from our, from the, this it lens. It could be also, I've seen so much of what it's influenced that it didn't like have that surprise to me. Yeah. It's like, you know, watching Halloween. It's yeah. not, it's not scary anymore. Which thankfully I saw when I was 10. So it, Oh, good. <laughs> I know. I saw it when I was young enough too. <laughs> Michael Myers. <Woo-hoo. laughs> I was him for Halloween for like six years. Nice. <laughs> but after Vera Cruz, we have Kiss, Kiss Me, me Deadly. Which... Kiss me once. <laughs> Kiss me twice. Which, which I, my main problem is that I just don't like Ralph Meeker in the role. 
I just think he's too flat. Wait, which is fair. I mean, um, but the story, for, for those yeah. of you who have not seen Kiss, Kiss Me Deadly, it is an adaptation of Mickey Spillane's Kiss Me Deadly, uh, featuring Detective Mike Hammer. And Mickey Spillane's Mike Hammer. And yeah, yeah I'll, I'll agree that Ralph Meeker is probably not the best choice for that role. Anybody but, with the last name oh, Meeker should not be playing Mike Hammer. I just right. feel like it needs to be said. Well, Nolan and I were talking yeah. earlier before the podcast, before Wendy came yeah. in, and because that was the yeah. thing was that that I think is like the fifth or sixth book and I read like four of them before I watched the movie mm-hmm. and the the Mickey Spillane novels are horrible in terms of their content and viewpoints <laughs> but they have like this raw like, I mean they're literally like Conan the private eye <laughs> it's literally like you took Conan the private <laughs> I'm serious. It's what like, is best in life? Cigarettes. And it's smoke, very much that Milius viewpoint. Of it's Milius would have loved Mike Hammer. I'm surprised he never made one because and like the books are like Mike Hammer punches communists. Mike Hammer punches homosexuality. Mike Hammer. Are these the titles? <laughs> they should be. Should be in the slideline. Mike Hammer punches homosexuals. Mike Hammer punches the women's equality movement. Yep. I mean, yeah, Mickey Spillane had very horrible viewpoints. But what I liked is Mike Hammer is basically the goon who would be the right-hand man to a gangster who decided, I'm just going to use all those horrible gangstery, thuggish techniques and just pound the other bad guys. I'll be a good guy by being a th- more of a thug than the bad guys. Exactly. Yeah. And, and, and I love Noel's suggestion yeah. that, that he had... Before the um, episode started. Yes, that... of, of who could have played him. Yes. George Kennedy. <laughs> who had a history of working with Aldrich, but I don't think he was an established enough actor at that time. Oh, God, yeah. But oh, George yeah. Kennedy, you know, was a big guy. He Back in the day, he played the scariest of heavies. Mm-hmm. Mike Hammer needs to be a heavy who just happens to not be as evil as the heavies he's beating up. Yeah. He needs to look like a thug. Right. Yeah. And though it's, but, it, yeah, I feel ahead. bad comparing it to Conan because the Conan original stories I've been reading are actually extremely progressive. Oh, yeah. And yeah. the Mike Hammers are basically, let's pound that in the face. <laughs> <laughs> and Kiss Me it's Dead. Budget. And Kiss Me yeah. Deadly is one of those ones where Aldrich hated that viewpoint. So he made the film a very subversive and cynical look at that mm-hmm. viewpoint. Which is, which is what I love about the yeah. movie. And also the, the wonderful thing of the great what's it. Yes. You know, he, you know, Robert Aldrich had his own his MacGuffin, MacGuffin. His MacGuffin. The magic radiation that will just kill you oh. if you open it. And and I... And, okay, and, and that's because I know I've seen Kiss Me Deadly. Yeah. Is that the one with... The glowing with, box. With the glowing, with the glowing box. box, yeah. And, okay. and you see the glowing box and you go, this is where it all came from. This is the briefcase yeah. in Pulp Fiction. This is the Ark of the Covenant. This is, yep. you know, the the, the the magic thing you open. Half of what Richard and, Kelly tries to do. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it, it it doesn't matter what's in the box, but everybody wants it. Yeah. And yeah. I mean, and your part and, of you is always frustrated of what the hell's in the box, but it's like, it doesn't really matter. Yeah. It's the thing everybody wants. Mm-hmm. But, it, you know, literally the visual is... The glow. The, the glow. They open the box and there's the glow. You never see inside the box. All you yeah. see is the glow coming out of it. Did and... Harry make us watch Kiss Me Deadly? Yes, he did. Okay. Yes, he did. That's where my memory... Okay. Right. My memory I, is I knew in. you'd seen that one because of that. It's I all... remember liking it a yes. lot. It, it is but really right, a thing. But you're the main guy. Ralph Meeker. I, and I, I think he was a perfectly fine character actor. I liked him in a number of other things. What was the, the Kubrick film he was in where it was World War II with Kurt Douglas? Uh... 
where they're paths of glory. Paths of glory. I thought he was great as one of the soldiers in that. I mean, yeah. I just don't think he fit the lead role for. I'll agree. That I'll agree. And but what was also neat about Kiss Me Deadly is it also started. Uh, Aldrich became very controversial for his frankness with violence and sex. Yeah. I mean, Kiss Me Deadly just oozes sex. <laughs> There's so much it sex in so that movie. It is so sweaty, sex. All yes. Those people are fucking. Yes. Mm -hmm. They're not making love. They're not panning away wait to a windowsill. Wait till we get to the late they 60s. They are. There's fucking. They may, he may not show you the fucking, but no, those people Wait till are we fucking. get to the late 60s yeah. where suddenly he could and he's like, oh, we're going to dive right in there. Oh, oh, <laughs> Ooh, oh yeah. Oh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> what an unfortunate turn of phrase. <laughs> well... <laughs> Killing a sister George, we'll, we'll <laughs> oh yeah. yeah, we'll 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 have yeah. to chug along to get. But, but then oh also my. the violence, yeah. where yeah, he was like Milius, very over the top violence, but also but with an edge to it of you're really feeling the pain that's being caused, mm -hmm. and it's usually also casting an eye at against violence about it's showing just how horrible violence is. Like even just like beating up two guys in an alley, you're gonna leave them pretty broken and battered. One guy even just dies from getting his head slammed into a wall of concrete. Mm -hmm. You know, it's. Yeah. No, I, I always appreciate a filmmaker who, okay, don't tiptoe around violence. Right. But don't glorify it. And just right. because you're showing me how violent it is doesn't mean that you're glorifying it. Which is, yeah. Some filmmakers, they are. Right. <clears throat> Either. And, um, <laughs> yeah. But so, yeah, I, I. I get what you're saying there, yeah. and I agree with it. He was very cynical about it, and he right. used it for a purpose. I mean, even Dirty Dozen, it's, you know, it's an incredibly violent movie and kind of over the top and silly, but it's also just like, these people are all dying that I just made you care about for two and a half hours. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Know? While slaughtering people. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, <clears throat> moving along, we have The Big Knife. Big Knife, based yeah. on the play by Clifford Odets. Okay. That is, that is a very nice melodrama. It's basically like, I think it's real-time-ish. I can't remember if there's like a cut at some point. But it's literally Jack Palance as an mm. actor who's uh, just sick and tired of working in the industry. His wife, Ida Lupino, is leaving him. Yay, Ida Lupino! His contract is up for renewal, and he just wants to get out mm -hmm. to try to save his marriage. And uh, Rod Steiger plays the head of the studio who is trying to pull every dirty trick he can to keep this guy in and sign a contract to the point of like dragging out like the abortion his wife had to the point <laughs> of dragging out. This is an affair that you had to actually oh. try and get his wife to sleep with them to like recording him and bugging him. It's like just literally this guy trying to get away from something only for it to like pull out all the dirt on him. In, as a way to just kind of like glue him to it oh man that's <laughs> wow. messed up yeah can i just tell you how it ends yeah I, I think you know the statute of limitations on spoilers ends. he walks up to the bathroom draws a bath and kills himself jesus <laughs> oh god <laughs> yes but okay now when you said there was jack palance it's jack, jack palance, palance for two hours his life falling apart because <laughs> okay total side trip this is like fifties era Jack Palance. Yeah. yeah, but the thing is, we just rewatched the original Tim Burton Batman yes. at home mm -hmm. the other day, and of course Jack Palance is the big mob boss until Jack Nicholson right. goes crazy as the Joker, and so that's the Jack Palance I'm picturing, where he's all I know talking like this. 
Because and, and that became like the stereotype of Palance from like the seventies on. But in like these early fifties films, oh he yeah, was really because he was a big classical the- theatrical trained actor. Oh yeah, he's amazing. Um, and we have this, and we have uh, Attack, which we'll be getting to. Mm-hmm. But this one, just especially, it's him and Ida Lupino just trying to figure out where to go as their lives fall apart. And Ida Lupino is wonderful in this movie. Yeah, and it's just Palance mixed with the macho hamminess of Robert Aldrich mm-hmm. and Rod Steiger Rod Steiger being an fucker Rod, Rod Steiger, Steiger is awesome as a motherfucker Rod Steiger with bleached blonde hair <laughs> and it, it, and playing a guy who used to be beat up by his mother so whenever there's like a massive argument he like huddles up <laughs> oh, oh my god oh my god plates are spinning plates are spinning yeah what <laughs> and it, big knife is it's it also just it's a great just robert aldrich basically doing a big middle finger to the industry and he was a big uh, uh friend with clifford odette's the playwright who mm-hmm. wrote it and it's just it, this almost got him kicked out of the industry this film because <laughs> it's just casting the worst negative light on the same studio system that he's still working for and <laughs> that i take some balls man i know and i think and let me just try to check here real quick see when it was he started producing yeah so it was uh i think big knife kiss me deadly and big knife are what started him actually producing and selecting his own material so i mean this this is like him really like this is my career and i'm driving it nice and i don't care which if you like it or not i'm still gonna make it film was still a hit yeah. So yeah. they still let him make more. Mm-hmm. And he was someone who who knew how he was a political activist. He knew how to build up enough friends to keep him to, to keep them from throwing him out. So the guy knew how to fight fights. And then he got Autumn Leaves. Yeah, that that one's next on the list. That is it's one of his weaker films. It's not terrible. It's just it's it's basically it's a romance with Joan Crawford and um oh I'm so what's the name of the the guy with the flowers for Algernon, dude. Oh, oh, Cliff Roberts? No, Robertson. <laughs> Cliff Robertson. Okay. See, I was right. Cliff, <laughs> Cliff Robertson. Robertson. Okay. So it was it, it was meant to be a romance between those two, and it, it fully acknowledged that it's a thirty year difference between them. That's actually the the main thrust of the story. Mm-hmm. It was Joan Crawford like being honest about her age. You know, this being an Aldrich film, taking off the makeup being honest about how old you are and being insecure about this young man having affection for you. Mm -hmm. And then gradually finding out that he has these secret lives leading to the twist that he's schizophrenic, but they get to be together in the end because of the wonders of electroshock therapy. Good God. Oh my God. (laughs) This is like a Douglas Sirk movie. (laughs) That's just where my brain went. I'm like, that's melodrama, baby. It is. This is is Aldrich doing pure melodrama. And you know, (laughs) given as exaggerated as Aldrich is all the time, him doing pure melodrama is like, that is so concentrate. (laughs) It flies a little out of his his control. That's drinking from the fire hose, baby. Yeah. Wow. Speaking of drinking. Yeah. Hey, Elliot, I'm really enjoying this wine you got us. Oh, this is fantastic. I'm kind of, I feel like I'm detecting. It makes me think of bread and butter. Mmm, mmm, mmm. There's, there's like a, yeah. There's a sort of, for want of a better word, sort of a fatty richness to it. Yeah. Like there's some lard going on under there somewhere. <laughs> it's just kind of, mmm, yeah. So this is like the Paula Deen of wines. Are you it's saying? Just, it's yeah, like... it's sort of rolling around in my mouth and kind of lolling around, going, yes, yes, bacon. <laughs> 
Yes. Yeah, I, I love it as it's uh, airing out. It's yeah, it's really some... developing nicely. Mm. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Mm. Mm. So yes. Noel's carrying the no Noel's carrying Noel's the, carrying the, the podcast one. while I, I I'm how, drinking. I love how you guys are drinking alcohol. I'm drinking caffeine, so we're getting further apart. <laughs> yeah, we're gonna get so mellow, and he's gonna get so wired. It's gonna be awesome. <laughs> All right. So, so after Autumn leaves, we, was, we have attack attack, which is basically a minimalist war drama between Jack Palance and Eddie Albert. Oh, I'm sold. Where uh, Eddie Albert. Oh, okay. No, Eddie Albert in like the 50s. No, no. Yeah. Yeah. I've just. And this is like them, like pure. This was like kind of proto what he, what he was trying with Dirty Dozen of it's, you have the commander of this unit is Eddie Albert, who is an absolute coward who's been put in charge because he's the son of a prominent politician. And Lee Marvin is, of course, the general who put him in that position, hoping he would get killed. (laughs) <laughs> but he's still in charge of a unit that has zero respect for him and is largely run by Jack Palance, who is trying to usurp command and get this guy thrown out. So Eddie Albert basically sends everyone on a suicide mission, hoping that they'll all get killed. Excellent. <laughs> Excellent. Because so, the military deserves our respect. That so, yes. is what Aldrich was saying. So big twist. <laughs> big twist. They don't all get killed mm-hmm. and they come back and Jack Palance literally uh, single-handedly fights a tank with a bazooka. Sweet! <laughs> <laughs> Jesus, yeah! Oh my God, there's nothing remotely phallic about that. And then, at all. And then gets killed. My and, dick might be bigger than yours. Yes. Just saying. Yes. And I know, it's glorious. And then what's great is that like one of like the hero characters then just turns and just shoots Eddie Albert. But then he's like willing to turn himself in, but then the Lee Marvin character just shoots him too. And then everybody in the unit fires a bullet into Eddie Albert just so not, it can't be pinned on any of them. <laughs> oh, I'm Spartacus. Bam, bam, yeah. bam, bam. Wait, wait. So let me, let me walk. So um, let us say Joe kills Eddie Albert and Lee Marvin kills Joe. And no, no, so- no, 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 no. Uh, Joe kills Eddie Albert. And Joe feels guilty about kidding, killing Albert, so Lee Marvin also shoots the dead Eddie Albert. So then everybody else just walks up and empties their guns into Eddie Albert so that they all have their bullets in Eddie Albert. <laughs> since, hey, since we're all doing it, yeah. wait a minute. If the and commanding do- officer basically oh. just said, it's totally okay to shoot this and, fucking corpse, well, and they're all, I'm going to take my shot, And they're man. all doing it in honor of Jack Palance, who just fought a tank and won, but still died. <laughs> he killed the tank but died himself. Yeah. Oh, that's sad. But it's like you get Jack Palance but he did with kill a bazooka a just tank. like going after it. Yeah, it's it's a fun film. <laughs> okay. It's... Attack. Okay, put attack yeah. on the list attack. for our next weekend extravaganza. Oh, we gotta, we gotta. And it's also based on a play. It's kind of a oddly minimalist film. It's got a big cast, but it's very sparsely used. <laughs> and most of it is just in this bunker of just Jack Palance and Eddie Albert just basically spitting at each other. So, and the thing is, it's one of, I think it's one of my favorite Robert Aldrich movies, mm-hmm. and it's one of the ones that nobody knows about and nobody talks about, and they need to, because it's, oh, everyone talks about it. Dirty Dozen, and he has so many of these other war movies that are just glorious. Then there was, you might not have this one, because he's also okay. uncredited, there was The Garment Jungle. Oh, yeah, I didn't write Which that was yet. a film that he mostly directed until, like, the last two weeks when he was replaced and had his name taken off, where it's... Uh, basically, a guy shows up to work uh, after he gets out of the war, comes back home to his dad's place uh, where he runs a garment industry making women's lingerie. 
And of course, it's the entire film are the mob versus the unions. And so it like gets into like big guerrilla warfare all surrounding this whole lingerie manufacturing place. (laughs) Amped up melodrama, (laughs) everything just going over the top. It's like the garment jungle and it's like war around women's bras panties i know and you've got like drivers drive-by shootings bombs shit (laughs) this is amazing someone's cut the elevator (laughs) literally you have a guy plunging to his death in the elevator when the line goes i'm hiding in this pile of bras so i can ambush you and put out a hit while you come from panties the union leader is a young robert loggia (gasps) early career for him yes Oh. And it is just it's 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 not a perfect movie, but it's just so pure and just we're going to go there. Yeah. We're just going to run with it, go wild. <laughs> and it's still even though he was taken off of it, it's still mostly Aldrich. It, I think mm-hmm. they mostly just gave it a happy ending. But even then it's like most of the film is just let's just go crazy and blow up a let's just throw <laughs> bombs around a women's <laughs> underwear manufacturer. Good god, yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay i there's a lot yeah. i feel like there's a lot of comedy potential there and so much that i'm gonna walk past it and just acknowledge that it was there yeah. all of you make your own joke and move on. <laughs> and then his and dad who runs the up. place is uh what's his name Jay Lee cobb the guy from 12 angry men yeah oh, yeah, yes. yeah, 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 yeah. yeah 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 okay and it's like him versus robert loggia <laughs> jesus so much testosterone no, and so many bras and that's the thing is and all <laughs> Aldrich will get these very these people who are just can like drive so much emotion out of them and pit them against each other. That's another Aldrich classic ta- tactic. Well, yeah, I mean, if you're going to want to make that kind of story, you're going to look around yeah. for people who can go to eleven. And mm-hmm. you know, see, and and to be fair, he, he gets pegged as a macho director, but he does that just as much with the women. Oh, oh yeah. Please, yeah! Oh God, yeah. When he gets can, later in his career, mm. can you turn it up? No, but even like, can you turn it up all even the way? Some of the women in these Come films here. too. You know? Oh, I yeah. real I realize that, but you know, I mean, when like, you tell yeah. Betty Davis to go to eleven, right. That's a special sort of eleven. That's a yeah. supernova of eleven, right yeah. there. That's ooh, white hot. You've burning so heart far, of a you can't star come back. yeah like, and then she got stuck there uh-huh. <laughs> yeah but who cares that's true <laughs> we got cares? watcher in the woods out of it oh yeah. yes, yes. i also okay. think i will get more wine Ooh, yeah what? this is while happening. you guys are doing that i'll just say <laughs> the next two films that we have 10 seconds to hell and angry hills those are two others that have i think one of them just finally came out but i have not seen those okay all right, which is which is too bad because I'm very curious about Ten Seconds to Hell. Yes, it sounds that, very proto Hurt Lockery. Yeah, it, that, mixed with a heist film. Yeah, and and <laughs> I'm all, I'm always for movies about people who defuse bombs. Right. So then that hmm. brings us to the Last Sunset. Last Sunset. What's that about? <laughs> <laughs> Last Sunset is uh, Kurt Douglas and Rock Hudson. It sounds by oh. the title quite hopeful. Kurt Douglas <laughs> kills a man. Goes down south of the border, uh-huh. finds the farm where his old flame is now living with uh, a drunk loser husband, Joseph Cotton. Sweet Jesus. And so he decides, I'm going to come in and take over this family again. Uh, basically, Joseph Cotton gets killed by other people at some point. Mm-hmm. And also, uh, he starts to fall in love with the teenage daughter. Oh! Because you remind me so much of her back in the day. <laughs> Yes. 
So then... Isn't, isn't this the one with Dorothy wait. Malone as well? Yes, I think she's the wife. Yeah, so like two people from Written on the Wind. Yeah. Oh my it gets God. Better, I know, right? It gets better. Then Rock Hudson shows up as the sheriff pursuing him, whose brother he killed. And basically, because they're all waiting for this big cattle drive, he's like, I'm going to stay and work on this farm alongside you, and we're going to follow along that cattle drive, and as soon as we get back north of the border, I'm taking you in. We're going to work together <laughs> yes. until such time as I I capture you. That That's a very macho thing. Yeah. Yeah, it yeah. is, right? Yeah. Like, well, you and I are enemies, but there's a macho thing that needs doing, and only a man can do it, so we'll yeah. work together. Rock yeah. Hudson has the line, I never understood women. Men are so much easier to get. Sweet <laughs> Jesus! Oh! oh! And then... And I then, must see this movie! And then the twist... I, seriously, was he friends with Douglas Sirk? Because it sounds like I he know. and Douglas there's Sirk a further, would have enjoyed a bottle together. Of, yeah. There's a further twist. Oh, oh, oh! The teenage daughter that Kurt Douglas is falling in love with, he finds out is his own daughter. Of course it is! <laughs> of course it is! Yes! So, <laughs> oh my god! So we get to the thing of where he agrees to have a final duel to settle it with Rock Hudson... And then after he gets shot down, though, we reveal that he never loaded his gun. Because he didn't want to win. <laughs> because because he, he literally felt so much guilt over the incestuous love he felt for his daughter. Literally. this is these Well, are, he could tell there this, was a connection there. Aldrich, Aldrich fully explored incest in, like, what, 1960? 1961. 1961. Yeah. Where was the mother in all this? She was she, still there too. She was I, oh, watching she, this and not going. Oh. No, she was falling in love with Rock Hudson, who, but he was so more she was busy. Than <laughs> she was yeah. busy falling. Hey, Rock Hudson was but kind of a dream. True, yeah, yeah, true. Mm-hmm. But he men are so all, much yeah. easier to get. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh my God! Oh, sweet oh, Jesus! Panning myself. Okay, Just remind us. Sunset. Wait. Last sunset, everybody, Last listeners. Sunset. I think sunset. we all need to set a date, and we will all watch it, yeah. and then come back <laughs> yes. together communally. It's not a great film, but if you're gonna do trashy melodrama from Arbor Aldrich, oh, that's the one to go with. Yeah, I feel like that would make a really great pairing with Written on the Wind. Actually, I think we just need to do a trashy melodrama episode. Oh yeah. Did, did, yeah. did Douglas Sirk ever do a western? Because that might compete with this. <laughs> I, I think he did. I, th- I think Cochise. Son of Cochise. Yeah. What is it called? Son of Cochise or oh, something. It, does, like it doesn't matter the setting <laughs> as long as you get the over-the-top 11-ness of it. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and then speaking of over-top 11-ness, then we get Sodom and Gomorrah. <laughs> well, that doesn't sound like it could possibly. I think that sounds like a small, little tale, just sort of a bedroom farce. Where Here's the I'm thing. I'm being sarcastic. Here's the thing. Okay. Sodom and, fu- Sodom and Gomorrah. Thing, Here's the thing, though. He goes full on Ridley Scott with this thing. And what? Like, whoa, 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 time. Wait, wait. A massive <laughs> epic war film with slave revolts <gasps> and trade negotiations. And like the two leaders of the cities are like boning each other while also fighting each other. <laughs> Tell me that the two leaders of the cities are both men. Cause, no. Because that, that, that would make it even better. That would be. Seriously, come on. No. Sodom and No, he, he didn't get to that till later in his the career. The thing, though, is uh, uh, Aldrich was actually very pro gay, so he would never want to, like. Yeah, you wouldn't mm, want to show them in a negative wanna, light. Yeah, show it in terms of, like, that's uh, degrade or um, 
you know, only horrible depraved, depraved or, yes. Yeah. yeah. No, which awesome, yay. Which awesome. again, we'll get to killing his sister George. Yes. Uh, uh, but Sodom and but, but Gomorrah. I mean, so like, does the wrath of God rain down on Sodom and Gomorrah? And yes, and that's actually the worst part of the film because then it just becomes the typical, you know, all like fire rain from the sky, his wife gets turned into a pillar of salt. But it's like everything leading up to that is like literally it has nothing to do with the original Sodom and Gomorrah story. It's Game of Thrones. It is. And it's like literally Ridley Scott <laughs> Sodom and Gomorrah in terms of like just going fuck all over with it. And it's like literally you get the two warring cities. You have Lot is now basically Moses leading a whole tribe of people through the lands. And they settle in the salt flats and set up a business trading salt to the two cities. But then also get pulled into the corruption of the two cities. Uh <laughs> His wife is a for but his wife is a former slave from the city, and then you get all these big war scenes and invasions, and then even Lot gets corrupted into the city. We find out that one of the evil kings bones both of his sister, his daughters. Oh, <laughs> oh boy! And and it's just this whole Aldrich hated the movie, but he needed to he needed to because the last few films didn't do very much money, so he took a studio picture and just went like. Michael, we're gonna run with it. He went. He, you want me to make a movie called Sodom and here's Gomorrah? Here's a good way to describe it. Okay. I John I, John Milius's yeah. Sodom and Gomorrah. <laughs> <laughs> I I'm I'm just stuck on the concept that I can have Ridley Scott's Sodom and Gomorrah without actually having it be directed by Ridley Scott. Yeah. That's kind of a plus. And the thing yeah. is, and it was like one of Miklos Rosa's final scores, and even Miklos Rosa uh, complained about like the last ten minutes of you just built all this stuff and then you just. They had like the pillar of salt and all that stuff. And I'll just said, that's what they wrote in the fucking Bible. Just go with it. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I was telling a story and then we had a little bit of Bible yeah. on the end. Right. It's like, I, I feel like I need to just just watch it just for Miklos Rosa because I love yeah. Oh, yeah. his music. Oh, and his score. They even released like a full two disc set. Of, oh. like, I have it of like his entire score. Oh. And it is it is a wonderful score. It's like everybody did their best with a movie that they couldn't give a shit about. And the movie is just kind of glorious for just how spectacularly why. <laughs> I mean, it's like they've done biblical epics for like every other Bible story of the time. Let's do Sodom and Gomorrah. Okay, what do we do with Sodom and Gomorrah? I don't know. What do we do in the other ones? Well, we got slave revolts. We got a big war. We got Moses. and Yeah, I mean, <laughs> and, yeah. seriously, because there's Samson and Delilah and the robe. Right. And yeah, yeah. I mean, and it's like basically, okay, we know where this is going to end. How do we get us there? Yeah. And let's just make up a bunch of shit. Well, I mean, <laughs> seriously, that's kind of a great idea in terms right. of we know that these two cities were yeah. so fucked up that God decided to destroy them. Who wouldn't want to play with that for storytelling? Right. Well, how fucked up were they? No, but and that's let's the find thing is, out. It's like it's this big like political drama with all this war and all this stuff. And it's like literally in the last five minutes, that's when like the two angels show up. That's when the, <laughs> that's when the Bible going. happens. Yeah. And then <laughs> story, 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 plot, story, plot, story, plot, and, and Game of like, Thrones. Well, Bible. <laughs> and I'm like thinking, you know, you could have actually done some really interesting thing, like just have the city be on top of a gas deposit that goes that ignites and and like have, yeah, have make it, it be realistic. Like, have yeah. it be that the wife <gasps> just looked back over the hill just as the big wave of fire came, turn her into ash. Take you know? a, take like a Batman uh, begin super realistic yeah. approach to the Bible. I like the you idea. You could do something with that, but it's like yeah. Bible is this sort of um super text yeah. in in parentheses, right? Like right. <laughs> blah blah story blah explosion blah politics blah 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 Bible. But then I also <laughs> love like his wife gets turned into salt, so what if we have his entire backstory is he's a salt merchant? 
Irony! Oh my god! And that's like a statement against capitalism. Is like she's your wife. She's also kind of a commodity. He got he he was corrupted by how rich he got selling salt. (laughs) So his wife gets turned into the thing that corrupted him. So did he pick her up and take her along so he could sell her later? Oh, oh my! I did that. (laughs) You did. I mean, it's it's actually still a fun film. Just like even just separating it from that, it's just a big fun, silly biblical epic. It's actually. It's so twisty and turny and juicy Game of Thronesy that it is fun to watch. It is a fun film to watch, just going with measured expectations. And Stuart Granger as Lot is just like oh, big, big square jawed heroing it up as Lot. I mean, he's like I'm Lot. Yeah, Woo. he's like King Lot. He, I mean, he's just, <laughs> his big staff as he's just leading everyone in this big tan. Yeah, <laughs> he might... big staff, big tan. Yeah. And that's like Bright Lake's big city, and then of only course, different. As like the city is blowing up, you have that's when everybody just decides to fall into a big orgy and just start fucking their way to death. <laughs> Which hey, you have to admit, that's not a bad no. reaction to the problem. I mean, like literally, like the queen of one city is seeing everything falling before her, so she grabs her slave girl, yanks her into a corner, starts making out with her as the walls crumble on them. <laughs> well, if you know you're gonna yeah. die, right? Yeah. You know, it's that whole oh. Hold your loved ones close and no, I know potentially bone them. Yeah, and it's just and like you even have like a guy as the city's falling sees another guy's coin purse, kills him, steals the coin purse just as a pillar falls on him. That's <laughs> <laughs> like literally let's That's... let's stage all sin, sin while this is happening. Sin bad crush. Yeah. Sin bad crush. That's sin awesome. bad. No. Sin, oh. No. But okay. then came his one of his biggest. Whatever happened to Baby Jane? Oh yeah. I think <gasps> I think Wendy's happy. I'm sorry when because you oh, when yeah. we when the topic was broached before we started. Although it may be we may have been recording. Oh my god, I can see myself screaming. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it was like remind me Aldrich, and it was like oh Dirty Dozen. Oh yeah, of course. Um, Longest Yard. Yeah, I love. Well, I, I love the longest yard. Dirty Dozen and Whatever Happened to Baby Jane shows such a range. In and then it, Whatever Happened to Baby Jane, who, how do you not love that film? Yeah. How do you, you not love that film? You have these two titanic actresses mm-hmm. just, and, it, and like the Titanic, bam. just and it's like, heading towards each other at full oh, yeah. steam. Bam, it's like bam, everything bam. we've said that Aldrich is, is like so pure in Whatever Happened to Baby Jane, you know. Broken people at their worst, their worst possible moment and cynical Dynamic and they're, they're all just another. they're all just fuckers but I'm gonna hope you can make it and actors who are willing to just barf it all out just Victor all over the place Uno. oh yes oh and oh. Joan Crawford yes uh, what I love is how Joan Crawford because she was a weird actress very she, strange she had such a harsh face Mm -hmm. that whenever they tried to cast her as a romantic lead i was like do you see what i'm seeing i'm not again it was aldrich stripped away all the makeup and just like Mm -hmm. lay it bare and just i mean because then it also i also cast against betty davis covered in makeup yeah 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 just and so creepy joan crawford just being so why would you do yeah. that and playing that sort of where she's the weasley. harsher one, but playing the yes, more victim of the so group? Great. And Betty Davis has more of those those kind of baby doll features and is the harsh, yes. caustic one of the group. Yes, yeah. it's so great. 
And then Victor Bono and Victor kind of Bono, just in the yes. background going, what the, what the his fuck? His debut film. <laughs> yeah. Debut film. Yeah. Why? What? One of his last films written by John Carpenter, we'll get to. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I actually, crazily enough, wa- why did this pop up somewhere today when I was, do- while doing other things, reading the internet? Um, this popped up and there was some a story about how one of the sort of urban myths about the movie is that... These two these two actresses hated each other. Oh yeah. They had a long standing feud in Hollywood. And one of the one of the theories as to why is that Joan Crawford was in love with Betty Davis. Oh boy. Isn't I, that a t- I, I read, hadn't I, heard that one. That I read that like as a, a sounds like it could be a Robert Aldrich film. Right yeah. there. I read it as a side note and I was like, Yeah, well, gossip, whatever, I don't know, and I don't know what the facts are. But I read that and went Oh, that's a really fun idea to play with, though, right? That yeah. Joan Crawford was like, oh, my God, you're amazing. You've spurned me. I hate you. My eyebrows hate you. Yes. I, I kind of want to see that made into a movie. Yes. I know, right? It, it's like slash fic. Oh, oh, yes. oh, boy. Basically make a play on straitjacket out of it. Yeah. Oh, my God. Just Joan Crawford. Joan loves Betty. Yes. Oh my god. Oh, that'd be the most fucked up sitcom ever. Betty and Joan. <laughs> no, it'd be like Jody Loves Chachi. Only no, but you, like, got, you got Benny yeah. and June, Betty and Joan. Yeah. 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 yeah there are possibilities. Oh, but I also, I also should say, if you really like Whatever Happened to Be Jane, look up the novels of Henry Farrell. The okay. He wrote the book. Again, only wrote like five, six novels. They're all that. <laughs> and some of them have been made in, but he even had an original screenplay that they did what's the matter with helen where it's shelly winters and debbie reynolds <laughs> where it's shelly winters develops this stalkery fixation on Demi, uh, debbie reynolds <laughs> and and it's it's kind of where we're going <laughs> i'm making a face oh my god this but is yes, pretty awesome henry farrell how awful about alan hostage death on the seventh day uh, such a gorgeous kid like me, just all really fun. And I think I was made into a, a Truffaut made that one into a movie. <laughs> just really, it's oh, and then Hush, Sweet Charlotte, which we'll be getting to in a minute, oh, was yeah. also an original by him. Yeah. Well, let's move but, on then. But before we get to Hush, okay. Hush Sweet Charlotte, we get we the have, Rat Pack. We have four for four for Texas, which was a Rat Pack movie. Yep. With Dean and Frank, and oh. sadly, it suffers from the same problem a lot of the Rat Pack movies have, and that you know they just didn't commit; they just screwed around on set a they, lot. They showed up to hang out with their buddies, and yeah. it, it's sad because that was one of Aldrich's like original screenplays that he was deeply passionate about. That was going to be like his big western. Aww. And then those two signed on, and the, I, I recommend people track down the novelization because that's adapted from the original script. So mm-hmm. very little of that actually made it to film. And it's just the two guys who both grew up in the same orphanage are trying to steal the same amount of money, the same bit of money, so they keep robbing each other over and over again <laughs> until they just were like, "Fuck it, let's just." Uh, let's just join together and we'll just buy a casino boat. And then they run the casino boat with Anita Ekberg and Ursula Andress. <laughs> and Victor Buono's the bad guy. Yeah. And it sounds, but it's like, it's like most Rat Pack movies in that it sounds a lot more awesome than it actually is. Yeah. Because they were just very lazy in terms of actually letting things happen. What's the next on the list? Hush, hush, sweet Charlotte. Hush, hush, sweet Charlotte. Hush, dot, 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 
Which Hush, I, I think Charlie. its only problem is that it's not as good as Baby Jane, but it's almost. Yeah, that's the yeah that's the only. I think, and the only the only thing that really holds it down is the twist at the end is just a little overstaged. Oh yeah, but the, the big zombie guy. But and good all, yeah. God! But it's oh, still, yeah. Okay, so, oh, so, so tell good. us what happens in this movie. Yes, because this it since it's less known yeah. than whatever happened to Baby Jane. I feel like we need to describe this for our listeners because it is batshit insane. Yeah. <laughs> I love this movie so much. So And it's... Yeah. Uh, God, I haven't seen it in years, so correct me if I get any of this wrong. Yeah. It's basically when she's at her wedding in her 20s, the Betty Davis character. Yep. Her fiancé is killed with a meat cleaver, like beheaded, has his hand chopped off, and then she walks into the party with blood all over her gown, and everyone pretty much assumes it was her. And she just doesn't do any jail time because they all figure she was snapped. And years later, okay, she's... Okay, who killed her husband? Well, we don't know. That's okay, okay, okay. That's 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 so we just know he died and blood got... So she saw it. She yeah, saw she came, it. Yeah, she came in and discovered But even the she doesn't remember what happened, so she doesn't know if she killed him. And that's part of what's driven her kind of crazy. Mm-hmm. And basically... She's now been living in seclusion in the family home with Agnes Moorhead as her maid. Yep. <gasps> Going full Agnes Moorhead. Oh my yes. God. Agnes Moorhead is glorious. Because it's Robert Aldrich and you need to crank it up. Yep. It's like, hi, you signed on. Yeah. Did you take your vitamins? Which which is weird given how subdued Cloris Leachman was in Kiss Me Deadly. I know, right? Yeah. But, but yeah. still, Agnes Moorhead. Well, that was her first movie too. Agnes so she Moorhead, Southern May, just going completely all for it. Oh, yeah. And But anyways, uh, her home is going to be torn down because they're building a highway. And so she calls for her cousin to help. And I can't remember who Joseph Cotton is. Does he come with the cousin? Does yeah, Joseph Cotton kind of... Uh, well, no, he was like a local doctor, okay, but yes. the cousin knew him from the past right. and they kind of strike up their and friendship then, again. And, then, and the cousin is Olivia de Havilland. Yes. Oh, yeah. It was, it was Joan Crawford. It yeah. was Joan Crawford who did film for a week or two before she quit the film, uh, claiming she was ill, but they actually like proved that she wasn't with private eyes and took her to court over it. Uh, <laughs> well, probably because she yeah. and Betty Davis just fucking hated each right. other. Or loved each other. Yeah. <laughs> And but and then it becomes this. Uh, she starts to see flashes of like a severed hand, a severed head, and all this stuff. And then it basically becomes a gaslight story. Yeah, it, oh. it's amazing. I okay, add this it, to the it, next it, weekend. It, it and goes, I won't say any more than that because I I would rather not say more than that if you guys are going to watch it because there are twists. Oh yeah, yeah. It, well, it we goes. just had our first filling in the gaps and that's weekend, not, and we're gonna yes. have another one because that was way too much fun. And yeah. that's not even saying who actually did the crime, which is a further twist. Oh, all yeah. the stuff that oh, goes on. Oh my god! Oh my god! Oh my god! <laughs> It's so oh good. Oh my god. It's so great, Wendy. You'll love it. You'll I love can't it. Yeah, wait. I, you will love it. I, I remember the the first time I saw that movie, um, Pat Harrigan and the Rex Boys put together a film marathon. It was one of their film marathons where it was uh aging film actresses past their peak doing horror films. So it was Whatever Happened to Baby <laughs> Jane and where Hush was Hush. I? I don't know. Hush Hush Sweet Charlotte and Lady in a Cage. And there was one, at, at least one other. There were probably two, but it was an amazing lineup. You could probably do an entire run of Joan Crawford movies there. <laughs> well, we were going actress yeah. to actress. Like, they were usually paired up. So it's like, you follow Betty Davis to this okay. one. You follow Olivia de Havilland to this one. You <laughs> hop, 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 hop. Wow. I Where know. was I? know. Where I was I? I don't know. You weren't in the right place, though. Uh, also, screenwriter Lucas Heller who also wrote the screenplay for Baby Jane, wrote like, I think, seven or eight films with with Aldrich. They were very mm. much collaborators. 
his daughter is the author of the novel um oh devil wears prada oh oh really oh his daughter wrote the novel well, and I think you are a, a font of knowledge. And then his sir. son, Bruce Heller, is a TV writer. And yeah, it's it's a whole generation of writers. <laughs> it's like awesome. the Whedons, but not as far back. <laughs> All right, dear listeners, we've been recording for a very long time. And it's seriously, I've already played is, two hours of roller derby, drunk a whole bottle yeah. of wine, and then talked about a lot of Robert Aldrich movies. There's been a lot going on tonight. Yeah. So we haven't nearly gotten enough Robert Aldrich done. So we're going to have to come back next week and finish this episode. Halfway. So it's a two-parter. Oh, my God. It's our first two-parter. No, it's our second two-parter because we had a two-parter with Cargill. That's true. That's true. So it's our second two-parter. Two, two. It's a it's a new numbers thing. It's, it's a like numbers an thing. You needed an extra episode sitcom. for the beefiness that is Robert Aldrich. That's right. There was not enough episode to hold could, all the could, macho. You needed one each for George Kennedy and Ernest Borgnine. <laughs> yes. yes. Ernest Borgnine, week one. Robert Kennedy, week two. And in the meantime, <laughs> while you're waiting for the next episode, you, you mean need George to, Kennedy. Yeah, whatever. You need to go out and buy a steak and eat it. Okay. No, I actually just thought a Robert Aldrich movie where it's couples versus each other. You had Ernest Borgnine and Joan Crawford and Betty Davis and George Kennedy. Mm. <laughs> all just pissed off at each other. Okay, which one is angry. Team Broad? Which one is Team Panty? Now, now I want to edit them all together in one big conflagration of joy. Okay, so anyway, we're done for this week. We'll be back next week to continue this amazing, amazing subject. Uh, I've been Melissa, and this has been... And we are joined by... No. No. He's coming back. Wait for it. So totally coming back. Wait for it. Boop. Thank you for joining us in the Xanadu Cinema Pleasure Dome. Our theme song was written by Tim Wick and Jeffrey Brown and recorded and mastered by Chad Dutton. New episodes arrive every Thursday. You can find us on iTunes and on Stitcher. You can also visit us at xanaducinema.com. Follow us on Twitter at Xanadu Cinema and like us on Facebook at Xanadu Cinema Pleasure Dome. Although, now that Melissa said, Lingerie Factory and I Thought Gang War, all I can picture is West Side Story meets the bras versus the panties. That's all I can think. That's all I can think. When you're a bra, you're... So they're just using the bra clasp. And there's a lot of snapping. They're using the bra clasp. Yeah, yes. (laughs) Snuggies. They're just walking by snapping their bras. Crazy Snuggie. (laughs) Get cool, boy. (laughs) (laughs) Snap. 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 Ow!